Hey friends, welcome back to the Catwalk. My name is Clark Cowden. I'm your host for this week's message. Uh, this is the second in a series of messages on the resilient life and how we can bounce back and develop the stability and snapback ability to uh, recover from difficult times in life. Uh, today's message is about running the race, and we look at examples from the Bible, from the past, from the present, from world missions, and from literature about how we can develop the endurance to keep running the race that God has set before us and not give up. I thank you for joining with me today and invite you to sit back and relax and enjoy this message on running the race. What would it be like to live in a country where the relationship between the church and the state was very unstable? How challenging would it be to live in a nation where the federal government actively opposed the church and thought that our teachings were bad for people? In the years following the death and resurrection of Jesus, the relationship between the church and the state was tenuous at best and scary at worst. Between the years of 64 and 313 AD, there were 129 years of persecution and 120 years of tolerance and peace. The Roman Empire was typically tolerant of religion, but it often did not trust Christianity because they regarded our faith as a superstition. They believed Christianity was bad for society. They thought that bad things would happen if the Roman gods were not respected and worshipped properly. Because Christians gathered for worship in people's homes and not in big public buildings, they were not trusted because of their secret worship practices. People heard about communion being described as love feasts and eating the body of Christ and drinking his blood. This started rumors that Christians were cannibals and engaged in immoral sexual practices. The first persecution of the church began in 64 AD when it is believed Nero set fire to Rome and blamed it on the Christians. Nero made it a capital crime to be a Christian, but you could be pardoned if you publicly condemned Christ and sacrificed to the Roman gods. People who refused were killed by persecution or by being fed to the dogs or the lions. It is believed that Peter and Paul were killed during this time. Marcus Aurelius thought that Christianity was an absurd and fanatical superstition. He believed that the Christian doctrine of the immortality of the soul was dangerous to the welfare of the state. <clears throat> Under his reign, a law was passed that exiled anyone who tried to persuade people to believe in Jesus. He made it easier for Christians to be accused and their property to be confiscated. In 250 AD, a law was passed 
requiring all citizens to sacrifice to the emperor in the presence of a Roman official and obtain a certificate proving that they had done so. <clears throat> this created a crisis of conscience for many Christians, as you could obtain a certificate by bribing a Roman official. <clears throat> it was clear Christians should not sacrifice to a false god, but obtaining a certificate to save your life was seen as a gray area. <clears throat> Many Christians refused to buy a certificate, and they were arrested or executed. <clears throat> Pastors were required to sacrifice to the Roman gods. If they refused, they were either exiled or killed. <clears throat> Christians were forbidden from going to cemeteries to honor their dead. In the persecution of 303 AD, the emperor ordered the burning of Christian books and church buildings. In general, public opinion condemned the government's violence and admired the church's passive resistance. The suffering of Christians led to the strengthening and the growth of the church. Even though they lived in a time of uncertainty, instability, and hostility, the church not only survived, it thrived. Instead of growing smaller, it grew bigger. Instead of becoming weaker, it became stronger. What can we learn from the early church about how we can become resilient today? There are both similarities and differences between our time and their time. But the church is being challenged today in ways that we have not been challenged in our lifetime. <clears throat> One of the places that the early church turned was to the New Testament book of Hebrews. Chapter 11 is the great hall of faith, where the writer lists many of the great people of faith from our past who give us inspiration today. But then towards the end of cha the chapter, in chapter 11, verse 36, through chapter 12, verse 3, it says this. Some face jeers and flogging, and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and in holes in the ground. These were all commended for their faith. Yet none of them received what had been promised, since God had planned something better for us, so that only together with us would they be made perfect. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. 
Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. This passage gives us four keys to becoming a resilient church today. Number one, chapter 12, verse one says, we have a great cloud of witnesses cheering us on. For those of us who are parents or grandparents, if our kids or grandkids play sports or are involved in music or dance or other competitions, we go and cheer them on. We want to encourage them and let them know we are supporting them. It can be nervous to go out on a stage by yourself. It can be nerve-wracking to play in a big game for your team where you don't want to mess up. We gain strength from the people who believe in us and who show up for us when we need them. Hebrews is saying that what we have in the global church and the historic church is this. You have fans in the stands cheering you on. You can't see them, but people show up every day to watch you live your life. They are encouraging you and rooting you on. You have your own cheering section and all the saints who have gone before us. This is the first key to living a resilient life. Knowing that you have this great cloud of witnesses pulling for you every step of the way. Secondly, chapter 12, verse 1 also tells us to throw off everything that hinders. Throw off the sin that so easily entangles. The picture here is like a ship that is being blown and tossed about at sea. If they have too much weight on board, they will start throwing things overboard to keep the ship from sinking. This is what the writer of Hebrews is telling us to do. We develop resiliency when we learn what to throw overboard, what to get rid of from our lives. Historians tell us that one of the original sins of our nation has been our racism against black people. We tried to throw it off during the Civil War, and we tried to throw it off during the Civil Rights Movement of the 1960s, and yet it still persists in our culture today. This past week, Condoleezza Rice, our first black female secretary of state under President George W. Bush, talked about how when she was growing up in Jim Crow, Alabama, nobody blinked an eye when a white police officer killed a black man. She says our country has a birth defect. African Americans came to this country together, but one group was in chains. Black people were only seen as three-fifths of a person. Things are not as bad today as they used to be, but as a black woman, she also knows that to be black in America still today is to be forced to overcome implicit and explicit reactions to the color of her skin. 
It might be dismissiveness or underestimation or presumption of how you think. Some people are automatically afraid. And she still sees these responses even among decent people who sincerely don't want to react that way. She says our society is not yet colorblind and that race is still an anchor around our country's neck that keeps pulling us down. I think it's hard for white people like me to understand a sin like this because I've never experienced it myself. I have never been discriminated against because of the color of my skin. But it is a reality that some of our brothers and sisters have to face every day. It is an invisible enemy that we make stronger when we don't believe it is real. Condoleezza Rice says, change comes when people get to know each other as real human beings, as friends, neighbors, coworkers, and teammates. While we have made progress, we still have a long way to go to fulfill our founder's vision to create a more perfect union. Racism is a sin that so easily entangles us. It continues to hinder our progress as a nation. We need to face it head on and figure out how to untangle ourselves from it so it doesn't continue to trip us up again and again. Thirdly, chapter 12, verse 1 says to run with perseverance the race God has set before you. Perseverance is another word for resilience. It's another word for endurance. When I was in middle school and high school, I ran in a lot of track meets. I was a distance runner. And the way you build up your resistance as a distance runner is by running long distances. I remember showing up for practice one day and the warm up was two miles. I was used to my whole workout being two miles. And after the warm up, then we had to run even more. I was dying. I didn't think I was going to make it. But after a while, my body got used to it. My muscles got used to running those distances. And by the end of the season, it was no problem. I had learned to do something I didn't think I could do. I had taught my body to be more resilient than I thought it could be. This pandemic we are going through is not a sprint. It's a marathon. It's a distance race. Things are not going to pop back to the way they were before. This could go on for another year. We have to develop our spiritual endurance. We can learn not to give up, to keep going, and to realize we can go farther and last longer than we think. We can learn to become more resilient. 
And then the fourth way we learn to become more resilient is that chapter 12, verse 2 tells you to keep your eyes on Jesus. The writer is using this running analogy. And when you are running, what you do is you pick your target, you focus on it, and you run to it. If you turn and look behind you, or if you look side to side, you are going to get off track. It's the same thing if you're sailing a boat across a lake. You pick your target and you steer towards it. It's the same thing if you are in a tractor or a combine in a field. You pick your target and you drive towards it. The writer is encouraging us to keep our eyes on Jesus. He is our champion. He has already run the race. He has already finished and he has already won. Hebrews says he endured the cross and he endured opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. That's resilience. That's our encouragement. Is this pandemic causing you to feel tired? Do you feel like you are losing heart? Jesus can give you the energy and the encouragement you need. Jesus is the remedy for the resilience we are looking for. <clears throat> there was once a great Methodist missionary named E. Stanley Jones, who served in India for more than 50 years of his life. At the age of 83, after a lifetime of world travel, where he had spoken to millions of people, after he had met with presidents and prime ministers, and after he had been used to convert countless people to Christ, he suffered a debilitating stroke. He became unable to move and speech was very difficult. In the months before he died, he somehow managed to dictate a remarkable book, which was his final declaration of faith in Jesus. In one paragraph, he said, there are scars on my faith. But underneath those scars, there are no doubts. Christ has me with the consent of my being and with the cooperation of all my life. I am 83, and I'm more excited today about being a Christian than I was at 18. That's what resilience sounds like at the end of the race. That's what the writer of Hebrews was trying to get across. In the Lord of the Rings trilogy, at the end of the Twin Towers movie, J.R.R. Tolkien writes about resilience in a conversation between Frodo and Sam. Frodo says, I can't do this, Sam. And Sam says, I know. It's all wrong. By rights, we shouldn't even be here. But we are. It's like in the great stories, Mr. Frodo, the ones that really mattered. Full of darkness and danger they were. Sometimes you didn't want to know the end because how could the end be happy? How could the world go back to the way it was when so much bad had happened? 
But in the end, the most amazing thing, the shadow, even this darkness must pass. But the day will come. And when the sun shines, and it will shine all the clear. Those are the stories that stayed with you, that meant something, even if you were too small to understand why. And I think, Mr. Frodo, I do understand. I know now. Folk in those stories had lots of chances to turn back, only they didn't. They kept going because they were holding on to something. And Frodo says, what are we holding on to, Sam? And Sam says that there is some good in this world and it's worth fighting for. So what sort of story or tale have we landed in? Are we in one of those stories where we say, I can't go on. We shouldn't even be here. Are we in the middle of one of those great stories, the ones that really matter, that are full of danger and darkness, where we wonder, how could the world go back to the way it used to be after all this darkness? Maybe God is making us into some of those great characters who had the chance to turn around and go back, only we didn't. We kept going, believing that there is some good in the world and it's worth fighting for. God is making us resilient. He is giving us the strength we need to face the challenges of our times. Like the early church with its persecutions from Rome, like the black church with its persecutions here in America, we are living through our own chapter. We can make it because Hebrews 11 and 12 reminds us we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. And this is a time to throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. So let us run the race that God has set before us with resilience. And if we keep our eyes on Jesus, who has gone before us, we will not grow weary or lose heart. God bless. Stay safe. See you soon.